What would we do for our children? Would we guide them? Protect them? Shield them from a dangerous world? But what if it was our children that others needed protection from? That we needed protection from? Because it's us they've been assaulting. Would we lie and minimize their faults and actions? Would we beg police and prosecutors for leniency? Would we die for them? This is Killer Heart to Hearts. Welcome back to Killer Heart to Hearts. I'm Elise. And I am Will. And we have a story this week that is um, fairly recent. I mean, although the the crime itself happened in 2019, this story has just recently been in the news. And that's how it caught my attention. Yeah. And as you could probably guess from the intro, this is another Will story, <laughs> yeah. which means... Leave the kids out of the car when you listen. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, you know, this is one of those stories that um, has a bit of a an edge to it, for sure. Oh, my God. I mean, I think it's everyone's worst nightmare. Yeah. I can't think of a crime that's more personal than this. Yeah. It just just as like the, the genre of crime. And you guys will understand what I mean when we get into it, but. This is very personal, mm-hmm. and I still don't know why. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know why this happened. All right. Well, let's do it. Yeah. I I have nothing more to say in the intro. I just want to dive in because I, I it's unfathomable. It, yeah. I mean, all the, every story, I feel like I'm saying that over and over and over again but this one really i mean you and i don't have kids but it's so so scary yeah okay well this week's episode is called a mother's love a mother's love knows no bounds from the moment of birth her number one priority becomes protecting her child Whatever is in her child's best interest, a mother will try to effectuate. Sometimes, even at her own peril. And watching her child's downward spiral into addiction, with all that accompanies it, can cause torment and anguish only a mother who's been there can truly understand. Margaret Sumney from South Fayette, Pennsylvania, knew this particular brand of anguish all too well. The first time Margaret Sumney's son, David, was arrested was in April 2011 on DUI charges in Arlington, Virginia, at 25 years old. But it wouldn't end there. Over the course of the next few years, David's drinking showed no signs of slowing, while his behavior showed only signs of escalating. And in 2014, David was arrested again. This time the charge was harassment. And just two months later, he was again arrested for assault. But what makes these two arrests significant is that both the harassment in June of 2014 
and the assault in August were directed at the same person, David's mother, Margaret Sumney. And as his addiction cemented itself as David's most prolific driving force, other family members too began to feel the brunt of its control over him. In June of 2015, a drunken David was arrested for the aggravated assault of his 71-year-old father, David Lee Sumney. And according to police, David and his father had a disagreement about a scheduled vacation before David, without warning, pinned his elderly father against the wall and began to pummel him. His own father, a 71-year-old man. At the time, the six-foot-four David was just 29. The things addicts can do to those that love them. And no one loved David more than Margaret. And in November 2016, David repaid that love by violently assaulting her in a drunken stupor. Margaret's criminal complaint following the attack described how a deranged David kicked her and grabbed her by the neck before picking her up around the torso and squeezing her, causing severe pain below her breast area. And as he did this, David exclaimed, quote, This is how we do it in the Navy SEALs. End quote. The Navy has no record of David ever enlisting, much less being a Navy SEAL. During the attack, David also punched his mother in the face and choked her before telling her, quote, I'll get you next time, end quote, as Margaret was able to escape and run to a neighbor for help and call police. But police had routinely been called to deal with David in the past, but nothing ever stuck. He had yet to be convicted of a felony, in no small part because those he assaulted would then advocate for leniency on his behalf, begging the court for treatment and rehab in lieu of prison. And because of his mother's intervention and pleas to police and prosecutors to go easy on David, charges against him would either get downgraded to misdemeanors or he would reach a plea deal on a lesser charge and never received more than a few months in jail and probation when he should have received lengthy sentences. See, I feel like that's often so many times the problem is that they get away with it. They think that this is okay. And then it just happens again. Like, you, your mother is there to tell you right from wrong. I mean, at 29 years old, you should know right from wrong. But if your mother is the one that's letting you get away with it, then it's like, what's to stop you? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, we got into it a little bit of this um, with last week's episode, too, um, how it, it, when it comes to domestic abuse and violence like this and, and make no mistake, this woman was her son's battered wife. Yes. You know, um, that was the dynamic of the relationship. Now, obviously, biologically and, and, you know, their personal relationship was not that of a husband and wife, but the dynamic of the abuse, she was his battered yeah. wife. For all intents and purposes, that's exactly what this was. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, the abuser, the abuser abuses 
and then he he persuades to to you know to for leniency whether it be in court or from the person they abuse themselves and then the cycle repeats mm-hmm. and margaret loved her son to a fault i mean she bought a gun because he scared the shit out of her but she also did all she could even after he had nearly killed her to protect him but leniency on david had unexpected consequences And in her effort to protect David, Margaret failed to protect others from him. An ex-girlfriend, for example, whom David met in 2018. Out of fear for her safety, her identity has been shielded from the public, but boy, does she have a story to tell. And at first, there really wasn't anything out of the ordinary about David, though. He was just your average, run-of-the-mill navy seal and she attributed any coldness or introversion to his time spent as a seal now of course we all know that was bullshit but at the time it seemed plausible to her and david even showed her pictures of what looked like him deployed in a desert somewhere and even his mother margaret reinforced his claims of being a seal possibly just hoping beyond hope that the love of a good woman would have a positive influence on David, even if it was obtained by deception. I mean, here again, his mom is lying on his behalf to impress a girl. Yeah. And, I, you know, um, it, I couldn't really find any clear evidence or research whether or not she was lying on his behalf or maybe potentially... David had been lying to her. Maybe he disappeared for several years and came back and told her that, oh, I'd been away as a Navy SEAL. Um, I couldn't really not lock that down. Got it. But either or. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, like Either or. I mean, his mother is making these or pushing these stories, these narratives, because she wants so badly for her son to find someone. Yes. Even though she knows fully well how dangerous he is. Right. Perhaps she she thinks that a woman is what he needs to help himself. I think that's... Or yeah. perhaps to alleviate some of the abuse from herself. Potentially. Yeah. So a few months into this new relationship, in July 2019, David's ex decided that a little getaway was needed. Not so much for the vacation of it. I mean, who doesn't long for a dream trip to romantic Atlantic City, am I right? But rather to ascertain whether or not the relationship had legs. And that was where David let his mask slip for the first time. As she puts it, Quote, the first time he physically hit me was in the hotel room. I was like, holy shit. And my mind just went into survival mode. Just figuring out ways to keep the situation calm to avoid getting hurt again. End quote. A few days later, when David again lost his shit, he began torturing her in their hotel room. Choked her out. Punched her in the face. Fucking waterboarded her even. And what he said to her as he did so, 
is enough to cause a person to lose all hope for survival. Quote, How do you want your body to be found? In the bathroom from an overdose? Or would you like for your body to just disappear? End quote. It was only when the couple failed to check out and a bellhop was sent to their room that she was able to escape screaming, He's going to kill me. The police were called, but David eluded them, flying first to Denver before returning to Pennsylvania. Although an arrest warrant was issued for David out of Atlantic City, that information never made its way to local authorities in Pennsylvania. And, just weeks later, David next assaulted a Lyft driver who made the mistake of getting lost while driving him. The wheels are really coming off now. To hear David's half-sister Ellen tell it, quote, There were so many instances for David to be stopped in 2019 alone, and yet he was able to slip through the cracks. Again. He is a Ted Bundy type, you know. He is manipulative and charismatic, and is able to manipulate people. He is also a sociopath who is capable of murder. End quote. I don't think anyone has ever been more right. On September 1st, 2019, Ellen was trying to deliver difficult news to her family about the death of her uncle, but was unable to reach her mother, Margaret. So next she called her half-brother, David, and was surprised when he told Ellen that he was already at their mother's house, but that Margaret was sleeping. After all, David had assaulted Margaret numerous times and even moved to an entirely different town. And when Ellen called back a few hours later, Margaret was still sleeping, according to David. A few hours later, still asleep. What Ellen couldn't have possibly imagined at the time is that before her first call that morning to David, he had already murdered their mother, bludgeoning her to death before shoving her body into the bathtub, breaking her back in the process a spinal fracture so severe that if Margaret had survived it, it would have left her paralyzed. And David documented the whole thing. He took more than 275 photos of his murdered mother, even posing next to her corpse for selfies, blood dripping from his hands and smeared on his face as he flashed a thumbs up. And then he robbed her. After the killing, David checked into a hotel in Philadelphia and gave a string of Margaret's pearls to the hotel manager saying, quote, from a special lady to a special lady, end quote. Margaret's body was discovered in her bathtub a day after her murder, following a request from her daughter, Peggy, that police perform a wellness check and police broke into a home completely soaked in blood and discovered Margaret folded into the upstairs bathtub. Three trash bags were discovered to contain gloves, a giant empty bottle of ammonia, and numerous blood-soaked towels. Blood spatter was located on the living room ceiling, above the white sofa that had run red with Margaret's blood. And when they moved the ottoman, police found huge bloodstains in the carpet, 
with broken glass and human feces on the floor. A few days later, David was arrested at his uncle's funeral and was found to be in possession of Margaret's diamond necklace and silver bracelet, along with three of her blank checks and her debit card. Subsequently, police discovered more of Margaret's belongings in that Philadelphia hotel room David had checked into following the murder, including the very revolver she had purchased to protect herself from David. The search of David's iPhone uncovered all of those macabre pictures he took with his mother's body after killing her, as well as internet searches for how to handle a corpse and how long to wait before disposing of a body. But it was the pictures that really got to Ellen, as she would later say, quote, To take 277 photos of murdering her, he had to enjoy it. He even took a photo with her blood smeared on his face, giving a thumbs up. Maybe they were a trophy for him, end quote. David was charged with first-degree murder, abuse of a corpse, theft, and robbery. But soon after his arrest, the Sumney family's tragedy was compounded by dubious prosecution. Fearing evidentiary issues in David's mental health history, prosecutors decided to offer him a plea deal. One count of third-degree murder with sentencing left up to the judge. And what makes this deal particularly cruel to Margaret's family is that prosecutors, while making their case to the judge in favor of the plea deal, told the judge that they had the full support and backing of Margaret's family. That was news to them. In fact, only Margaret's youngest daughter, Peggy, was in favor of the deal as a way to ensure David paid some price for his crimes. But the rest of them, to a person, were wholeheartedly against it. They feel David should be charged with first-degree murder and spend the rest of his life behind bars. But they didn't get a say. Only an allusion to family support for the plea deal in open court that they never gave. Margaret's older sister Anne gasped audibly in the courtroom when the district attorney insisted to the judge that the family supported the deal. They never wanted David to be released. Ever. But the plea deal was accepted. And David was sentenced to just 20 years in prison. However, because David has already been in jail since 2019, he will only have to serve 17 more years before being released at the age of 51. Now look me in the eye and tell me that's justice. What a disturbing fucking human being. And what makes me so mad about this case is that the very thing that we just talked about is he is essentially getting away with it again. You know, yeah. he's never fully this is being not, held accountable right, for these exactly. crimes. This is not being held accountable. Yeah. He's never in his life been held fully accountable for what he has done. Correct. Still. Yeah. And... 
again, his mother's death feels like it could have been avoided. I mean, yeah. there are signs. Yeah. This woman gave him everything she had to give. And then when she had no more to give, he took her life. Yeah. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. And I'm I'm not trying to sound like I'm blaming the victim at all because I'm not. I mean, I feel for this woman. Um, I can't imagine having a child that you're scared of. Yeah. And she was terrified of yeah. him. I fully believe that. I fully believe that. And I fully believe that she didn't know where to go for help. You know, when you love someone so much, how do you tell people that he is dangerous? Yeah. And she was an itty bitty thing, too. She was a tiny little lady and he was 6'4". I just I, I, I don't know how to how to reconcile those things you know how do you love something so much that then you're terrified of like i don't i can't imagine yeah and another thing that struck me you know before you began the story is you said i still don't know why and yeah it's it's just you know some people i believe are just born evil yeah because I mean, it doesn't sound like he grew up in a abusive household by any means. He no. he was enabled by the lack of structure in terms of that when he acted out, it seems like he wasn't punished for that. But his acting out was above and beyond what normal people's acting out is. Yeah. You know, and the only motive uh, that's really been floated is just his addiction and mental illness. Like he has no recollection, allegedly, of the of the events. Um, and all he's offered is, you know, stuff like, you know, look at what I have done. I killed my mother and broke her back. I must be, you know crazy or you know what i mean and, and i took 277 selfies with yeah her. who would do that but but a mentally ill person and in this case you know unlike the case last week um he seems to have you know won that round yeah because he he's figured, gonna get out of jail he figured out a way at least Catherine knight's never gonna get out of jail in australia right. this guy's gonna get out and he's gonna be just barely 50 right and, and again, you know, I mean, we've done this before where we've compared Australian um, court to American court, and it's different. It's sure. very different. Sure. You know, um, trial by jury is different between the yeah, two different and, countries. You know, and I just wish that, that, and that this had gone to a trial, you know, instead of the plea right. deal that he got. Um, of course he took it. I mean, come on. Like, yeah. this man knows that he should never see the light of day. So the fact that you gave him 20 years is like a gift, you know? Uh, it's And, and the, just to fucking say that you have the full support of the family and lie like that. Like, talk about pouring salt on a wound. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's 
horrible to think that in 17 years, if not sooner, he could walk free and continue to be a threat to society. And yeah, there was a whole, the, 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 the reason why this is, um, was in the news most recently is because there was a huge thing in October where the family um, filed a petition that the judge vacate the plea deal saying that they did not have the support of the family, saying that the family wants first-degree murder prosecution, and they, they were asking for the judge to, to, to vacate the plea. Um, they weren't successful. Um, the judge did call a hearing where the family was able to speak and to um, you know, raise their concerns and have their voice be heard, but at the end of the day, the plea deal was accepted, and that's the deal. See, I just don't understand how this can, how this plea deal could have gotten that far when they clearly didn't have the consent of all but one family well, member. Well, that's the thing. They don't need the consent of the family. That's what's most underhanded about this, is that it's not necessary to have the consent of the family to have a plea deal. But the fact that the the Allegheny County, I believe it was, prosecutor's office said that they had the support of the family when they didn't, that's some fucking shit right there, man. Yeah. And they they are really refusing to comment other than to say that it was because of the difficulties and the fears that they had for his mental health and for his addiction history that they couldn't. They didn't know that they could get a conviction on first-degree murder, so they thought it would be best to get him on a plea for third-degree murder and at least put him away for 20 years. That's their story, which I get. Then just fucking say that. Don't say that everybody in the family agrees with you. Yeah, this story got to me. This story really, really shook me. Um, And... This is not the only story that I've heard of. I know Dateline did another episode of a story of these twins who murdered their mother. And it's just Mm -hmm. god awful. The Menendez brothers. Exactly. I mean, arguably one of the most famous ones. Lizzie Borden. mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And it's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. I mean, it's personal. It's very personal. Yeah. I cannot imagine having hate like that. No. I, I can't. That's a good thing. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. And make sure to catch the next episode of Killer Heart to Hearts. Killer Heart to Hearts is produced, written, and hosted by Elise Budell and William Cannon, and is engineered by Jordan Calhoun. 